So all in. And uh, uh, real excited about uh, what's going on and God's good. And I am just flying on this fast. It feels so good. It just feels so good. You know, I want to encourage you every time you want to reach for something, you know. Uh, the other day I went for my Honey Nut Cheerios. It was a moment. How many of you ever have a moment where you just need a Honey Nut Cheerio to get you through? You know, I'm like, I got about that far. And I'm like, nope. It took about this long. And then I said, I want Jesus more than that. (laughs) I also believe very strongly that all of you have written down on your sheet of paper and in your book the things that you're believing for. You know, if you don't know what you're believing for, if you don't know exactly what you're you're aiming for, it's going to be hard for you to keep up the, the passion. But I'm telling you right, write the vision huge and bold in front of you so you can keep, 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 keep going after it. Amen? So last week we uh, uh, preached on the concept of repentance, and uh, it was a really good morning. If you missed that, I really encourage you to either watch it on online or grab the CD, but preached on repentance. You know, it's not really uh, the most uh, uh, popular thing in church these days. We want to feel good all the time, but repentance. We talked about the fact that when God hears a repentant prayer, then the hand of judgment, because God is just and holy. Everybody say amen. amen. But when, he, when the just and holiness of God meets a repentant prayer, then the hand of grace and mercy can come and stay the judgment. And that's what we're all about. I pray constantly. This week has been a week of repentance, a week and a place for me to walk constantly in Father God. Father God, I repent. I repent for myself. I repent for my family and the things that we have done possibly as a family that has broken your heart. I repent for a church. Lord God, I repent for anything in our church, any division. I repent, Lord God. I pray right now that this church would be released. I pray right now over our nation and I repent over our nation. How many of you know that it is a, it, it is is a um, uh, truly, truly and a powerful place to stand in repentance. Because when you stand in a place of repentance, you can change God's mind. Let me read to you very quickly, Jonah 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned, that word turn is also another word for repentance. Anytime you see the word turn, it means repent also, okay? And God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, and he had compassion on them. And did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. The people turned, repented, and changed God's mind. I think that's a hero. That's the definition of a hero, someone who saves something, right? You have the potential right now to become a hero in the kingdom by becoming a repentant believer, amen? Changing the hand of God. Hallelujah. So today we're going we're gonna to move on from that, though. i got some really good stuff to bring to you. I'm going to read. Last week I read you chapter, five, or chapter 1, and you're all like, what? You're going to read the whole chapter? It took me about two seconds because it's really an, an easy book to read. So today I'm going to move on to chapter 2. I'm going to read a few little snippets here and there, okay? In the 16th century, the Renaissance astronomer Nicholas Copernicus challenged the idea that the earth was the center of the universe. Copernicus argued that the sun didn't revolve around the earth, but rather the earth revolved around the sun. The Copernican revolution turned the scientific world upside down by turning the universe inside out. In much the same way, each one of us needs to experience in our own, our own Copernican revolution. 
the paradigm shift that happens when we come to terms with the fact that the world does not revolve around us and it's a tough pill to swallow. Let me flip the page here. I'm supposed to flip easy. Most people in most churches think that they're following Jesus, but I'm not so sure. They may think that they're following Jesus, but the reality is they have invited Jesus to follow them. They call him Savior, but they haven't surrendered to him as Lord. And I was one of those. Trust me, I didn't want to go anywhere without Jesus right there behind me. But I wanted Jesus to follow me, to serve me, to serve my purposes, and to do my will. More than 100 years ago, a British revivalist issued a holy dare that would change a life, a city, and a generation. That timeless challenge echoes across every generation. The world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in and by the man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. If repentance is the beginning of our our Daniel fast, the first week, week one, week two is going to be a week of consecration. Consecration. The Daniel fast, we're doing this to get some breakthrough, amen? Anybody need a breakthrough? We're doing this to get a breakthrough. Not just for me, although breakthroughs usually do feel pretty good for me. But it's a breakthrough for the kingdom. It's a breakthrough for everything. We need breakthroughs. The best, biggest, most awesomest breakthrough in the Old Testament, I hope you would agree with me, is when the children of Israel were able to cross over to the promised land. How many sermons have we heard about the children of Israel and the promised land and the the land flowing with milk and honey and being able to get there? I mean, someday, someday it's going to happen. That promise of, the, of the, the promised land, they call it the promised land because it was promised to them. It began to be promised to Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. That was a long way on back. All through the life of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of Joseph's family going into to Egypt to be slaves. They were enslaved there for 400 years. The promise still stood. They had to stand up 400 and probably an extra 100 years for Abraham. I don't know how many. We're talking hundreds of years for a promise. People lived They were born. The first thing the mama whispered, there's a promised land. Oh, I can't wait for the promised land. And they'd have to live their whole life and never get the promise. That promise was issued and lived for a very long time. Moses is born. He he raises up the people of Israel. They get out of Egypt. It's an amazing story. They come piling out of Egypt, the millions of them. It's time for the promise. You know, they're all coming out. They can't wait. They pull up to the, to the, the Jordan River there, and they're, they're all ready to go in. And so Moses says, let's send in some spies. You all know the story. Ten or Twelve of them go in. Ten come back saying, we ain't going in. There ain't no way. In fact, if we go in, we're all going to die. Other two are going, are you kidding me? It's the coolest place in the world. Let's go. Right? The people believed. The ten So we're about ready to get a breakthrough. And God says, none of you are going in. Turn around. March around. 
40 more years in the desert because you haven't learned yet. So for 40 more years, those people had to hold on to the promise. And in fact, many of them had to die because they didn't believe. So for that 40 years, the most important thing that happened in those 40 years is for them to learn how to obey. So what happened was, is they were all in tents, right? They're out in the desert, in tents. There's the tabernacle. God would hover over the tabernacle with his cloud, as a cloud during the day, fire at night. And he would rise up. And when they would see the, t- the cloud move, guess what they all had to do? Well, tear down the tent, honey. We got to hurry up, pack it up, roll it up. Kids get busy. So they're all, you know, and they have to, then they, then they're, they're like, they learned how to follow the cloud. As soon as the clown stopped, the cloud, not the clown, the cloud stopped. Okay, honey, let's shut up the tent. Sometimes they stayed in one place for a while, sometimes not very while, very long. But the point is, is they had to learn how to follow, how to obey. And sometimes, I don't know, maybe they just moved three feet. I don't know, okay, maybe a mile. It was like, why couldn't you do there what you did? Because you're going to learn how to obey. So then the cloud would settle, okay, let's set up. You know, then they learned. So finally, finally it was time to, to cross over and they pull up to the Jordan, same place they'd been 40 years ago. But now they weren't the same people. There was a new generation, a generation who had learned to obey, a generation that had learned. So they pull up to the Jordan, Right? Moses dies. Joshua takes over. They're standing there. I don't know what was going through their heads, but it was time. It was finally time. Open your Bibles to uh, Joshua 3. Finally time to cross over. Finally time. How many of you feel that you're right at the edge of the Jordan, that you have walked and wandered, you've learned, you've learned, you've learned, you've learned, and God is saying, it's time, it's time, it's time, it's time. All right. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to to the Jordan where they had camped before crossing over. The town Shittim means thorns. It means trials. It means tribulations. It was the town known from the, for the wood that was around there, the trees, and they were acacia wood, and they were filled with thorns, filled with difficulties, filled with trials. And God says to them, it's time to move out of that place now, and we're going to come to the Jordan, we're going to cross over. Verse 2, after, the th- after three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the... Now, think about what they've been learning and listen to this very closely. There's 10 sermons in this. I can't decide which one to preach. It's very difficult. <sighs> giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Follow nothing else. Don't get distracted. Follow What? It, the presence of God. Then you will know, and listen to this very carefully, then you will know which way to go. Since you have never been this way before. They were about ready to cross over into new things. And at that point, so many times we lose focus on the presence of God because we're so excited to get what we wanted to get all along. But God said, no, 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 keep your eye on that because you have never been here before and it will lead you. 
Then you will know which way to go, for you have not been this way before. But keep a distance about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near, near it. Joshua told the people, and listen to me very strongly. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things. Consecrate, consecrate, consecrate. The concept of consecration is an incredible concept, and I want you to walk out of here today with a very, very clear idea of what it is, because consecration always precedes amazing things. They're there. They're right at the Jordan. It's time. Hundreds of years, people have lived and died on this promise. They stood on the banks of the promise, and God said, go back to your tents and consecrate yourself. What? Go back to your your tent and consecrate yourself. So what does it mean to consecrate yourself? In the Old Testament, there's a lot of conversation about consecration. Consecration meant, in a nutshell, number one, they had to go home and take a bath. It was bath day for the entire children of Israel. In the desert, where are you going to find water? So for them to take a bath, the whole tribe, the whole nation was a big deal. They had to go home and take a bath. Then they had to take the clothes off and put on new clothes. Because when you consecrate yourself, you have to take off something old, and you have to put on the new, something new, something clean. They could not come before God looking the same as they had the day before. Something had to change. Something had to shift. So in consecration, it it takes three. It's a three-part step, three-step whatever. Number one, take off the old. Take a bath, clean up, wash off, get off the old. Number two, put on the new. Put on something clean. Put on something on the outside that would, would reflect what's going on in the inside of your heart. Number three was that they were to reflect and concentrate on the fact that they are not normal anymore, that they are becoming a more holy thing. So a lot of times if you read earlier in the Old Testament when they were setting up the temple, and the, they all brought fabric and stuff like that, and, and the little seamstress ladies sewed the fabric into the priestly garments, and then they were supposed to consecrate the priestly garments. So they washed them. They made them, you know, they were new. And they declared that no longer was that fabric that had been alive and functioning for a while as fabric was no longer normal fabric, but now it's holy fabric. Now when the priests put on that garment that has been consecrated, they're putting on holy garments. I want you to get this concept. Consecration... Take something that used to be normal and set it apart a little bit farther towards something more holy. That fabric that they set aside or, or consecrated was fabric. It was the same. You look at it, it's kind of the same. You know, it's just fat. But it's been consecrated now. It's been set apart. Now when the priests put that on, they could walk into the Holy of Holies and do holy things. See, God does something incredible when somebody consecrates something. It no longer becomes normal. It is now set apart. Consecration. We find later in the, the chapter of, uh, jo- of tro- Joshua chapter 3 
After they consecrate themselves and the, the ark moves out, the priest steps in the water. The water heaps up on one side and the water flows away and, and the entire nation of Israel walks over the Jordan into the promised land. I, I don't know how they felt. They consecrated themselves. They were all wearing something new. They were going into, they're stepping into something new. They still look the same, but they're something. They're set apart now. They're going to be a holy nation. They're going to go in there, and they're going to, they're going to do things. That, that, but they look the same, but they've been consecrated. But now they're set aside. That is the cool thing about consecration is because it takes normal things. It takes things of this world, of this earthly nature, and it turns you, who used to be you yesterday, when you go through a spirit of consecration, when you have a consecration moment. You look the same. You smell the same. You talk the same. But now you're set apart. Consecration. Now what is consecration? What is not consecration? I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation begins with repentance. It's a heartfelt moment of contrition, humility, admission of sin. It's turning Starting a new journey, salvation is absolutely complete. You accept Christ into your life. Everything is done for you. You are saved. You are a child of God. Bam, done. You can't do anything more to become a child of God. You're going to heaven. Bam, done. You can't do anything to make that happen. All you have to do is repent. And you are a child of God. You can't become more of a child of of God. You can't... Do you understand what I'm saying? It is done. It's finished. Because God did all the work. You don't have to do anything but repent. Salvation is a finished work. It's a work of faith. That's what salvation is. Complete walk of faith. Look at your neighbor and say, walk of faith. But we're given a 70-year window of opportunity in life. Life in the body, life in a cursed world, life to see the effect of salvation worked out into the natural realm. It's nothing less than a miracle for a human being to turn towards God and to walk in salvation. But there is an ongoing miracle that happens when a man or woman of God who has accepted Christ now to walk through consecration. Philippians 2.12 says, and and let's go to it. I'd love for it to be up on the thing. Philippians 2.12, therefore, my, my dear friends, as you always have, have always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Think about that for a minute. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Now, wait, 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 wait. Is is this whole God thing a work of faith? Is it Jesus did it all? Or is it something I have to do? This is a tough 
passage for a lot of people. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The word work there means to take on as a task, to toil, to become incredibly intense with. Work it out. The, the thought process behind that word is that you have something planted deep within you. There has been an inherent change down deep inside in your very center and in your core. You have now become a child of God. Now what that has to do, that is fine. You can go to heaven. You are a child of God. Nothing's ever going to take that away. But if you, you now have a 70 year, 80 year, 100 year window of time for what has been transformed in the very depths of your heart now to be worked out and pressed out through our soul, through our body, until everyone around us can see, until God's work can be done in and by and through and whom you are. That's the work of consecration. So is it, is it faith? Everything's going to be fine. Just ask Jesus in my heart and then just bump along in life. Is, and everything's going to be easy. Or is it work? I got to work this thing out. I got to work it out with fear and trembling. They're both truths that are in this Bible. And remember, I've been talking to you about what heresy is. Heresy is when you take two truths about God that seem polar opposite seem absolutely impossible for my little brain to wrap itself around both of them and bring them in and to make them truth. So we choose one or we choose the other. Salvation. Yay, yippee, I can do anything I want now because I'm a child of God and you can't take that away. Nee, 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 nee. I can't do it. Yes, but... Oh, i got to work it out with fear and trembling. Fear and trembling... Fear and trembling. I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this. So where do the two meet? Because it's actually, both are true, although I don't ever get too feary, trembly, because I have confidence in God. Do you understand what I'm saying? They meet in a place called the Lordship of Christ. They meet in a place called the Lordship of Christ. We cannot ever walk in one or the other. We have to walk in both. A life of consecration. In the Old Testament, God would appear and say, go consecrate yourself. They'd run out, take a bath, change their clothes. I'm different. Walk out. Okay, amazing things. In the New Testament, after the the cross of Christ, it's not quite the same, but I want you to hear now how he brings consecration to us after the cross. I want you to open, flip over to Ephesians 4, verse 22. Verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off, put off, put off your old self. Take off your old self? Kind of sounds like consecration. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. New. Take off. Put on. Consecration. Put 
off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Oh my goodness, these all feel like like rules and regulations and, and stuff I gotta do. You mean I gotta do stuff? Well, not to be saved. Because you're saved. But if you want to walk out your window of years in the blessing of God and in his amazing breakthrough, then you better consecrate yourself. And that is something only I can do. God's not going to do it for you. It's both. It's a life of faith that, God, you put me right in your family, and I, I cannot believe what you have done for me. You died on the cross. You did everything for me. And in the midst of that, I see your goodness and your greatness, and I want it inside of me, and I want what you've done to work its way out into every recess of my life. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Ah, The four-letter word, work. Doing something useful with his own hands that he might have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome... Ooh, don't talk about this one. Do not let any unwholesome... Talk come out of your mouths, but only that that is helpful for building up others according to his need. This is consecration. This is what you're, you take off and you put on. We have to become a new creation. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness. That one right there could fix all of us. Get rid of bitterness and rage and anger. I almost said age. That would be good too. Rage and anger. Brawling and slander along with every form of malice, be kind. Put on kindness and compassion. Be compassionate with one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore. Consecration. Consecration. I'm going to skip over because I'm going to get us out here on time today. And everyone said hello. Um, but write down on your, in your notes there, Colossians 3, 1 through 14, because it's an incredible passage on consecration. And you know, if you are the kind of Christian, and I believe so much that, that, that salvation, you got salvation down, but all this other stuff, that's all works. That's all religion. I want you to see that the two come together very beautifully. And that it's not one, and I'm not doing anything more to become saved. What I'm doing is becoming more like him. And as we do these steps of consecration, it takes concentration to consecrate, right? And to say this sermon, apparently. But if you, through these steps of consecration, according to Joshua, consecration always comes before amazing things. And it could be that the breakthrough that you've been praying and crying out for is on the other side 
of your next consecrational level where you are willing to lay down something and take up something that you have not yet walked in in your new identity. And that when you do that, and as you do that, the Lord then is freed up to give you. I heard, there's a, uh, a quote in this book, it's really good, and I'm trying to f- get all the words in the right order in my head, but something to the effect of, you know, character supports where God wants to take you, but if you can't walk into your character of God that he's placed in you, he can't give you that next, do you understand what I'm saying? Consecration, take off the old, put on the new, Recolossians uh, 3, 1 through 14, uh, 14. I'm going to skip that, um, but, you know, the whole thing, Galatians, I have, I have so many scriptures. Because you know what? If you're going to cut out of the Bible everything that talks about things that we should and shouldn't do, especially in the New Testament, you're going to cut out about half of Paul's writings. He spends the first chapter or two or three of his epistles saying, you know, just amazing, incredible spiritual truths. And then the next chapter... It's down and right, dirty, straight, now, right, now, do this, don't do that. Because he's trying to train his people. Consecrate them. Working the very beautiful thing of salvation out into our very lives, into the practical things. Galatians 2.20. Flip over there. Where am I? I got my little tabs, but they confuse me sometimes. 2.20. This has been my... Screaming verse. I've been screaming it every morning when I go walking Lily. 5 a.m. Walking the track at Ferrucci. I am yelling this in my head and a little bit out. Loud. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in this body, I live by the faith In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live. You know what that means? My emotions no longer live. Any emotion I feel needs to be God's emotions. Because, or Christ's emotions. Because I don't live anymore. And I will tell you what, Christ is not depressed. Christ is not oppressed. Christ is not worried. Christ is not upset at people. Christ is not sad about the things I'm sad about, I should say. Christ is not, Christ does not hate people. He hates sin, but he doesn't hate people. Christ is not frustrated, never a frustrated moment in his life. These are all things that are, I, that are the things that in, emotions that are inside of me that, that have to die. And if I go through consecration and I lay those things aside, then I have to pick up his emotions. What are his emotions? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, all of that kind of thing. And I am constantly screaming. And it's been amazing how much of my emotions I've been living by. It's almost scary when I take my emotions and I place them about against Christ and it has been transforming in my life. 
I no longer live. Do you understand? I have to put off the old. Romans 12.1, I am a living sacrifice. See, the beautiful thing is I get to live. I get to live this out. Consecration. I want you to see it like this. This is human life. This whole, my arm, right here. Born, dead, life, human. This is life right here. See it? That's you. You're probably, I don't know where you're at on that. When you accept Christ, this is flesh, this is worldly, this is the things below, this is completely just here, natural. When you accept Christ into your life, you're bringing the spiritual into your life. Like this. And as you live through your life, from that moment of time that you accept Christ, there's going to be a pull in your world. How are you going to live? Because they live, they're very opposite each other. They're pulling you in two very different directions. And God is saying to you, when you consecrate yourself, what you're doing is you're putting this silenced and this magnified. And you are becoming more and more this and less and less this. And for a period of time, you get to walk this earth becoming more Christ. It's an amazing thing. As long as you have an earthly body, you have to consecrate yourself. And I want to show you something that's going to blow your mind. Jesus had to consecrate himself. Turn to John 17 very quickly. I'm running out of time. Because Jesus had a fleshly body. He walked in this earth. He was fully man, but he was fully God. And I want you to see something. He has not asked you to do anything he hasn't had to do and beat it and done it well. John 17. I'm going to start at verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that you may have the full measure of joy within them. I know I'm skipping around there. You got it. Good for you. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they have not... They are. Not of the world any more than I am of the world. Sounds like consecration. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not in the world even as I am not of it. In other words, you are no longer this. You are now this, walking around in a body. Sanctify, verse 17, sanctify them by the truth. The word sanctification and sanctify is exactly the same as consecrate or consecration. It's the same word in the Greek. It's just translated into English, either consecrate or sanctify. Same thing. So sanctify or consecrate them by the truth. Your your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I send them into the world. I am taking you who are now Christ-like, keeping you tied to your fleshly body. Verse 19, for I sanctify themselves... No, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Jesus had moments where he continually chose to lay his flesh aside because he was embodied in a flesh and chose to allow his spirit to rise up and to walk by that spirit 
It says here he sanctified himself. And this is moments before he was taken and hung on the cross. Sanctification is a mortification of your flesh and a glorification of your spirit. Oswald Oswald Chambers said, In conversion, God gives his all to me. In consecration, I give my all to God. Consecration is the catalyst for breakthroughs. Consecration is constant for new seasons. You're going to constantly, you're in this life. You don't just consecrate yourself once and then, you know, you're done. It's constant. As long as you live in this body that is entrapped with every fleshly thing manageable, uh, imaginable, how many of you are entrapped in an earthly body and don't even want to think about the things that are imaginable that you could do? Hallelujah. Okay, no one, just John and me. And let's have the, the band come up. You will continue to walk in consecration. I want you to see as the band comes... In Joshua, we're going to flip back to Joshua just very quickly. Joshua 3, we find them having to consecrate themselves because God's going to do something amazing the next day. And they cross over the Jordan. When they cross over the Jordan, they go up against Jericho. And everyone knows the story of Jericho. March around that thing. Keep your little mouth zipped. You can't say a word. March around that thing one time every day, the seventh time. It's like, why are you having me? Shut up. Do it, don't even talk. They were not allowed to even talk. Seven times, once every day for six days. That seventh day, you got to walk, do it seven times. You know, sometimes I wish I could just like suture my mouth shut. I think life would go better. Seventh day, they shout, what happens? Walls came tumbling down. The next town, itty bitty town called Ai. Anybody have the, know the story of Ai? Itty bitty little town of Ai. Israelites said, We're so, you, God, you and me, we got this thing. Yes, you and me, we are amazing together. And God had said, Don't touch anything of Jericho. It's mine. It's mine. You can't have any of it, but from that point on, you can have everything. But at this point, that one's mine. They move on from Jericho. Israelites look at AI and say, Simpy, Simpy, we're just going to send a few thousand guys out there. They go out there, they get beat. They come back. Joshua falls his face to the ground. What is going on, God? God shows up. He says, get up. Get up. Okay, I'm up. Israel has sinned. Someone's taken my devoted thing. Go home and consecrate yourself. We're going to get it straight. What? Three chapters past the consecration and the great breakthrough, and da 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 da. They got to consecrate themselves again. Again? Okay, people, everybody back to the bath. Okay, everybody, do your laundry tonight. Let me read this to you. This is what God said to them. Go, consecrate the people, 
Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That which is devoted now is once again found among you. O Israel, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove it. Consecrate yourselves. Three chapters later, consecration is something we do all the time. Consecration is something we do all the time. It's a constant as we live in this situation where there's flesh and humanity and brokenness and where there's the spirit of God that wants to reign and rule inside of you and you are at a war. Consecration is when you say no to this and yes to this. It says I'm taking off something old, something that worked before possibly, something that was fine and it makes, I have to take it off, I have to replace it with something else. And it also says that I, walking, standing up from this prayer, standing up from this moment, I'm going to walk out and I look the same, I, I smell the same, I wear the same clothes, but now I am holy. I've been consecrated for him. I have been set apart. I am no longer the same. And many Christians get up from that place and they look at themselves and they think I am the same what in the world happened nothing happened I don't feel it God says nope 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 you made a choice you made a decision now you are holy from this moment on I just I want to take a minute I want y'all to close your eyes I told Dwayne this morning I could I could preach a really good mind sermon and just teach you all sorts of cool stuff. And I think I have. But I'm hoping right now for it to go from your mind to your heart. Right now. I want you to think in your heart. Of the breakthroughs you're wanting. I want you to think in your heart. What God's calling you to take off. If God said to you, consecrate yourselves. What in, the, in, in your flesh, in your fleshly pull needs to go away? What needs to be taken off and what needs to be put on? You will continue in this fight for the rest of your life. But right now at this moment, let's take a bath. Let's take a bath. Let's take a bath. Hallelujah. My prayer is that this entire week is a week of consecration in our fast. This week is a week of consecration in our fast. That we take time, that we allow the Lord to wash us, that we allow the Lord to take things off of us that we functioned in before but is no longer uh, beautiful in the new place that we're going. I want you to look at the enemy that has been routing you these long time, this long time, I don't know what it is, but if there's something, if you are holding on to a devoted thing inside of you right now, and God would say to you, you cannot rout those enemies until you give that devoted thing up. God is looking at you and saying, no, this is not for you to become a child of mine because you already are my child. This is about you becoming more like me. This is about you coming into your breakthrough. This is about you routing your enemies. This is about you becoming more and more and more Christ-like. If you are the same today that you were last year this time, something's wrong because God's always calling us, always calling us 
very quickly right now. If this is a word for you, stand up. If you're feeling this word, stand up. Quickly, all, over, all across. If you're hearing him, if you're hearing him, stand up. If you're hearing him, if there's something, and I'm not trying to make you feel bad if you're not standing, but if this is a moment for you to be able to say, no, I am consecrating myself right now. This is something, this is something, this is something. Father God, right now, wash us and cleanse us. Take it off. Teach me. Teach me how to walk in the new in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father God. Hallelujah. 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 Let, it, let the work just happen in our lives. Praise you, Jesus.